Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. I was listening to a podcast called No Such Thing as a Fish last week which mentioned a term that I'd not heard of before, but immediately it struck me with a few thoughts about various parts of the world, the ethnosphere. We often think about the biosphere, but a critical part of it is the people who live in it, and of course have an influence on it. The increase in travel and movement of Western civilization into more and more remote places has led us to being closer to animals, which of course has the increase in risk of viruses jumping into the human population an observation made by Jane Goodall, DBE, at the beginning of the Covid crisis. But it's also led us to be closer to humans who were previously isolated. This has often been seen as a positive to the people who move in. You only have to go to Cuzco to see how the Spanish buildings are stamped upon the visible Inca foundations to show who had taken over. While we dislike empires of the past and the many things that go with them, there are still problems with tribes becoming extinct today. So this is not a historical problem. It still goes on but more often under the guise of help. The problem is that isolated communities are susceptible to human disease, a little like us with animals, and contact can help kill off an already endangered group of people. This is one reason why the Indian government have banned people from trying to land on North Sentinel Island, where a group of roughly 100 to 200 people live, and will still attack you and try and kill you with spears if you try and go there. The disappearance of tribes can be measured in advance by studying the vulnerability of language. As other civilizations move to an area, the environment changes, and this reduces some tribes' abilities to exist as previously. People move out, attracted by capitalism. Surely this is an advantage to the primitive tribe, I can hear people say. The big problem when one looks at an island that's isolated, with many different small tribes all competing, is that it creates a situation where there are many different languages. A brief internet search indicates that there are 88 languages that are vulnerable to severely at risk of extinction on Papua New Guinea alone. Severe risk of extinction is probably associated with the last few people of a tribe surviving. This could be just a lack of surviving children leading to a single person talking to the birds. Boa Senior was living alone for 30 years as the last surviving member of the Bo tribe and had to learn another language to communicate with people. Her own language was called Bo. She died, aged 85, in 2010, the last person in a lineage thought to go back 65,000 years, one of the oldest human cultures ever to exist on Earth that we know of. She was able to predict tsunamis, and it was this prediction method that saved many of the declining population of her tribe in 2004. The problem of language decline can be seen as rather trivial, but in that part of the world we are losing something very special, because different cultures see our world in different ways, which leads to a different outlook on life. Papua New Guinea is an island with a huge change in altitude over a relatively small distance from the coast to the central highlands. Being in the tropics, the island is fairly unique in its huge diversity of plant life. When you have people in place like that for long enough, they discover plant purpose pairings over a long time. In Papua New Guinea, they're not written down, just passed on by word of mouth. So if a tribe dies, all its knowledge dies with it. When you consider that a team of researchers looking at Papua New Guinea and the Amazon estimated that there are 12,500 plant purpose pairings in these areas alone, it's more surprising that a Western botanist is unlikely to have knowledge of any kind 
for more than just a few percent of these plants, let alone the purpose that goes with them. I remember reading in an Oliver Sacks text that people visiting the island would mistake multiple plants for the same species, but locals would point out two or three different types, all with very different medicinal purposes, and one may be potentially dangerous. Diversity on the island and the multitude of different languages spoken mean that many of these pairings will only be known about by individual tribes. When you're in competition, it doesn't make sense to be giving information to a competing tribe. So if a tribe dies out, a language goes with it, and thus all of the information that developed over sometimes many millennia. But what if we send scientists, linguists and anthropologists in to communicate? Well, Papua New Guinea has a history of Kuru, a disease which only killed its last victim in 2009 and caused by cannibalism, a kind of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease or mad cow disease spread by prime proteins in neurological tissues. Visitors to the island didn't appreciate what was going on for a long time. Even 500 years ago, when explorers set foot on the island, they only spent the time near the shores, and so no one appears to have been aware of islanders further inland. That is, until the Australian gold prospectors went there, and they travelled into the interior during the 1930s. They discovered the Four Tribe, who would eat their recent dead, and by the 1960s it was apparent that a strange laughing disease was killing its people and nearly destroying the tribe in the process. But they couldn't understand what was causing the problem, and for a long time neither could the explorers. The cannibalistic traditions may not have been the same as previously, and by the 1930s clearly posed no threat to outsiders. But even last year, 30,000 people were displaced on the island through tribal violence. So with this backdrop, it may be difficult to peacefully research plant purpose pairings undisturbed. If it were possible, this could lead to the development of potentially life-saving drugs that many parts of our civilised world are completely unaware of. But what then? Well, I suppose with the reputation of pharmacological companies, it begs the question, would this ramp up the invasion and exploitation of these parts of the world? Finding a balance between leaving places untouched and trying to learn from them may help in preserving our people as well as our planet. When the last person in a remote tribe dies, there are occasions when we find out, and only then mourn the loss of someone we never knew.